taking logical next steps. This didn't work. Do we introduce this feature? Do we introduce that product? Do we tweak this? Do we go after a different buyer? And that's what we did. And we kept iterating, I think, from that to the point that we found that market. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. With me today is Ravi Pratap Madamseti, co-founder and CEO of Beaconstack, that works with consumer brands wanting to build direct customer relationships by leveraging technology on smartphones to connect with consumers. Ravi is responsible for running Beaconstack's U.S.-based sales team and partnering with its enterprise customers to help them achieve their goals. Welcome, Ravi. Thank you so much, Carol. It's really a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. Yeah. So what's the biggest problem Beaconstaff solving for its clients? I think we, in one, in one sentence, we help our businesses connect the physical world that their customers are in to their digital world. So uh, businesses that have so many things in the physical world, whether you're a hotel or a, a, a consumer brand that has a product, let's say, uh, you know, that, that a physical product, all of these exist in the physical world, but, but how do you connect them to the digital world? How do you get people to take action, in, you know, with their smartphones? And I think that's a fundamental digital customer engagement problem that, that we see ourselves solving. So physical to digital customer engagement. Yeah, that's really interesting. Can you, can you kind of paint me an actual customer picture of how you do that? Essentially, the, if you look at the you know the world we live in today, you know all of us are walking around with smartphones. Um, you know we, we're having interactions. Uh, with, you know we're going to places, we're in our homes, right. and we always take out our smartphones and and we're like trying to get online, maybe going to Instagram and looking at things, buying something on Amazon, right? So that your smartphone's really good at connecting you to the online world that exists already. It's not, it's not so far been very good at connecting you to the immediate physical world around you. So you're at a train station or you're, you're at an airport. You're standing in line at the check-in counter. Your smartphone has no idea about the fact that you're doing that or hasn't so far been effective in connecting you to what's in front of you, right? You can connect you to Instagram, right. but is it connecting you to the, let's say, the person who's going to check you in or uh, at, maybe you're at the United counter and you need you know, something from United Airlines or you need to look something up. And so if, if I take a specific example, of one of our customers is a large food and beverage company, you know, bottled water and so on. What they're doing is putting QR codes and QR codes really one of those mechanisms. I, I'm sure you're all familiar. You, know, you, I'm certain, have been scanning QR codes uh, wherever you go, you know, especially with uh, the pandemic when it hit us in 2020. Ugh, the restaurants makes me crazy. I'm like, can I just have a menu? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. you know, that's, I mean, when you, you hit upon, 
I think you hit, you hit upon a very important point, which is essentially restaurants adopted QR codes uh, in en masse, right? And 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 when they yes. they did that, everyone knew how to learn how to scan a QR code. Now, what the QR code has done is really it's helped us build this technology, and and everyone knows how to how to scan a QR code. And so the QR code, uh, coming back to my example, right? So the the company that we work with. You know, a bottle water pr- company puts QR codes on its products because sure. let's say you buy a bottle, you buy bottle water. We were talking about sustainability. We were talking about things being good for the environment. As a consumer, how do I how do I find out about where this bottle of water came from? Where did the water right. come from? Uh, What's the source of this? Can I find out how sustainable it. and and you know trans? What's the transparency or you know that this company? is willing to share yeah. with me. So right, so all of these things I can get by just pointing my camera at the QR code. Mm-hmm. And then the QR code takes me straight to the content. Now, it could be a YouTube video, which tells me about where the bottled water source is. Or uh, it could be some other content, which you know is, is about what it is that the company is doing from a sustainability standpoint. How do I recycle this bottle? Right, So the bottle that I have is 100% recyclable, uh, Poland Springs, right? Uh, they're, they're a customer. Poland Springs water bottle. You want to know where to recycle it. Can I scan the QR code and find out where the nearest place is where I can dump this? So essentially mm-hmm. brands are telling their stories directly to consumers. No one's no one's in the middle telling them telling their story. They don't need the retailer. They don't need anyone else telling the story. They can tell their own stories through their own products, right? I, I'm, I'm consuming that product. Right? And so I all I have to do is interact with the product that's in my hand. In this case, that's a Poland Spring water bottle. So um, that is an example of a, of a consumer interacting with a physical product and then learning about it, interacting with it, you know, maybe figuring out how to recycle it, order more. Like I could order more water bottles or maybe order like a, like a pack or something for my house. Um, and I can do that all through the QR code. So that's what we're enabling for, for brands and, and for businesses that want to essentially directly engage their customers, not have to go through other mm-hmm. channels. Uh, because what do you typically do, right? You go through an engagement channel like some other some social media and, and, and other sources, right? But why not directly the product that's in your consumer's hands? That's what we've been you know, really focusing on. Got it. So you and your co-founder, Sharat, uh, founded the company in June of 2009. Um, you took your A round in 2011 and your B round, your, your B and final round in 2013, uh, your B round was funded by Excel and Cisco and your total, uh, uh, venture investment is $3 million. First of all, what is it about Beacon Stack that, I mean, $3 million is really not much money for investment Mm -hmm. anymore. So, I mean, it's practically nothing. So I'm curious as to, at least initially in those first few years, what it was, or at least in your B round, which I think was a higher investment than your A round, what had Excel and Cisco interested in what you were doing, first of all? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Uh, we were actually on this path, on this journey, which you know today has you know, really meant that we own the QR code space and QR code customer engagement space. But when Excel and Cisco first came in, uh, the problem we were trying to solve is what I just described, which is how do you get the mobile device in your hand, your smartphone? 
how do you get it to really interact with the um, with the world around you then at that time when we first got started on this journey the smartphone essentially has four technologies or that 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 exist on every device on the planet every smartphone on the planet has these four things the first is it has bluetooth right the bluetooth in your car speakers all your accessories everything works over bluetooth so every smartphone in the world has bluetooth in it then every smartphone has a camera right i mean smartphones basically came into existence because of the camera um the third thing is every camera every every smartphone i'm sorry has gps right so you can navigate using it you know where you are in the physical world you can get from place a to place b and and lastly uh, especially this is assuming you have a signal <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah that's easy. Um, go on <laughs> yeah and and then the and then i think nfc technology which is relatively uh, off these four the, the more recent entrant Q- nfc technology where you know with apple pay how you make payments with your phone you just tap to pay yep that's actually powered by nfc technology and nfc also is so in our view these are the four technologies that have always been interesting from that standpoint because these are the four technologies that allow your smartphone to see the physical world around you you know so to speak gps camera nfc and bluetooth and so we started this down this path and we said we want to make the smartphone really engage with the physical world and we actually to be honest at that time we were focused on bluetooth um, have you heard of bluetooth beacons carol you know i don't think i have ravi actually i have not right so they didn't go so mainstream i mean that's that's one of the reasons why they didn't i think take off as much is is the bluetooth beacons required bluetooth to work but they were a technology that we started working with and that's essentially when that series b round happened back in the day where we said look we're going to solve this problem with bluetooth technology and we're going to map all of these technologies and make these all technologies that companies and businesses and brands can use to engage with their customers so we did bluetooth we did gps nfc so basically you know all of these technologies including qr codes and and using the camera all of these were a part of the solution that we were building it turned out that when we when we started there and when they came in bluetooth was really seen as very promising um and and bluetooth low energy beacons as they called them dle beacons mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they were very they had a lot of promise back in the day uh but then what ended up happening is um Android and, and so basically Google, Android, Apple, iOS, they started introducing a number of different rules around how you can use Bluetooth for location, you know, and, and it was quite compelling. But then it started to become uh, quite challenging to follow all of the rules that were laid out by Apple inside apps and even Android. And so, so Bluetooth in that sense didn't end up becoming the technology to deliver on the promise. but what ended up happening is actually the the camera became the one that really became ubiquitous and that's how uh, the qr code so we've actually had a product that the beacon stack platform supports all four of these these technologies but the one that has really taken off has been qr codes which is why you see them everywhere right so you so you so when you and shot founded the company you founded it basically thinking about the bluetooth beacon technology yeah yeah that is correct and we 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 found that exciting right so you you basically pivoted the company 
Um, and how long have you been focusing on the QR uh, part of your business? And, and and is that most of your business now? Yes, it's pretty much all of our business right now, over 98% of our business. Um, yeah, so we, we essentially pivoted to complete focus on QR codes in 2019 because we... And it's funny how these things work, Carol, because we saw the opportunity in yeah. QR codes <laughs> because we existed already in the Bluetooth beacon space. We, we, we essentially realized that the product that we'd built, the platform that we'd built, was very suited and it was almost perfect for what the QR code world needed in that sense. So when we decided to you know, introduce QR codes, which was in 2019, actually almost exactly three years ago, it was 2019 July, that's when we launched the QR code platform. So it's been three years since, since we got into QR codes. While continuing to support the other, other platforms, yeah. So I, I want to uh, talk a little bit further about, you know, pivoting, pivoting is not something new <laughs> and people that, that know about startups that are listening to this will say, yeah, well, that's not really a surprise. It happens. You know, you, you sort of think one thing and you end up moving to something else when you realize that's what makes more sense. So if you look at the first you know 10 years of the company before you made this pivot, how many employees did you have from over that first 10 years? Like at 2019, before you made the pivot, how many employees did you have? There were just under 15 employees, about 15. Yeah. Right. And now, and now you're at 65. <laughs> right. So part of that leads me, to, leads me to believe that you made the right choice in making the pivot, right? Um, because you've had to then grow your organization. Um. Do you, do you, if you were to look back and kind of think about, you know, were, did you really, were you really solving a problem when you found, when, when you and Sherat founded the company, do you think that needed to be solved? Because look at the growth you've had just in the last three years. I think that we, we definitely uh, found a problem to solve, but that problem had a very small total addressable market. So the number of customers or yeah, businesses right. that had that problem was honestly really quite small because of various constraints imposed by the technology. Um, and, 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 and so as a result, I would argue the market was really just not big enough and was not really able to uh, scale up. Mm -hmm. So what do you think that might've cost you? Have you even, have you even, <laughs> and have you even thought about that? And, and not necessarily even in dollars, but in, in getting where you wanted to be by a certain time or, or anything. Right. So the way we, the way we've thought about this, Carol, is, you know, as a, as a, as a business, or I should say as a startup, you know, as an entrepreneur in what you, what are you trying to do first is find product market fit. That's the, that's the first phase, right? Until you have product market fit, you're trying to find it. And what does product market fit mean is essentially what we didn't have back then, right? We had the product, right. <laughs> but we didn't have the market. Yeah. Uh, there, there was yeah, no right. market. And you could say how big yeah. is, is, is big enough, right? It, especially today, yeah, sure. you know, companies like ours, which are software companies, we're all basically SaaS companies, software as a service, right? We mm -hmm. identify ourselves as, as, as part of the movement of SaaS. And so for a SaaS company, 
there are some very clear milestones that that honestly every SaaS company ought to hit if it's if it's getting somewhere. Um, that first milestone is a million dollars in annual recurring revenue. We call it ARR, right? right. You mm-hmm. get to a million in ARR, and if you have, that's usually an indicator of you're getting somewhere with your product market fit. That is, you have enough customers, maybe. Obviously, the, the, there are all kinds of things that you know you need to satisfy to say, wait, this is probably a good thing, and this is we have PMF. But um, but then broadly speaking, you wanna you wanna you wanna make sure that you have product market fit. I mean, if you don't, you can't scale up. You can't become a bigger company of because, yeah. right? How will you find the customers? Where's the market? There's no market in the product market fit. And so we, I think we approached the early years when we, you know, when we started doing the Bluetooth beacons and, you know, tried so many different things. And there were many companies also, not just us, trying to do this with Bluetooth beacons and, and the beacon space in general. Our approach was we are still finding product market fit. So, until we find it, we have to try as many things as we can. Obviously, you don't want to be chaotic about it and haphazard, right? You don't want to just randomly do things, but you have to iterate. I love to use the word iterate because I think that's the core of everything entrepreneurs do. They iterate to where it is that they finally end up seeing that escape velocity or whatever, or product market fit. And how do you get there? You always get there in steps. Now, you may, you may... You may zigzag on the ice and get there, or you may get there in a straight line. Usually, it's never a straight line. Right. It's a little bit like coming down a ski slope, right? You're never coming down a straight line. You're always going to do those, like, <laughs> well, of course, <laughs> right? So, so yeah, you know, essentially, we 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 saw it that way, Carol. We said, okay, we don't have product market fit. We haven't gotten to what the, what I, what we knew was a very uh, objective kind of measure of whether the business has product market fit. And so I don't know if it cost us a lot of, you know, I think we were in the journey because we, we were looking for it and we were just trying, making logical, uh, taking logical next steps. Okay, this didn't work. Do we introduce this feature? Do we introduce that product? Do we tweak this? Do we go after a different buyer? And that's what we did. And we kept iterating, I think, from that till the point that we found that market. Mm-hmm. So um, you, for anybody listening to this that that knows anything about universities uh, in India, you got your bachelor's at IIT, which is very, very, very well known, the Indian Institute of Technology. Um, and then you got out of school there and uh, came to the States and got your master's in computer science and engineering from WashU in my hometown of St. Louis. Oh. Um, and then went, uh, you know, basically started your career um, for not very long at Morgan Stanley. And then you had one other job before founding your own company. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your journey to being a founder and how you and Sharat met and decided that this was a good match for you. Yeah, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a good story. So I'd love to tell that. So first of all, Sharat and I, we... We're, we are classmates from basically middle school and high school. So we, we grew up in the same, uh, same city, city of Hyderabad in India. Mm-hmm. That's, where, that's my hometown. Mm-hmm. I, mean, mm-hmm. I grew up there. And A lot of technology we were, there. <laughs> right. And then we, we essentially went to IIT uh, as well. But 
although we were really good friends and you know we we're going in different directions uh broadly we were headed towards you know getting getting good graduate school you know figuring out what we wanted to do with our life so so that's the answer to your you know the second part of your question shout and i have known each other uh for decades now uh, Got essentially it. um and over the years we've obviously been really good friends but i think the spark really uh came when both charlotte and i were in new york we we were working there i was at morgan stanley right and charlotte was at merrill lynch we ended up sharing <laughs> sharing yeah uh, yes <laughs> that's that's interesting actually yeah so so we ended up there to be honest quite by accident right so i got to new york a little before he did and he was at merrill i was at morgan stanley and we ended up sharing an apartment so we were roommates and uh, we 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 were in an apartment and we would keep talking about startups and and we would keep talking about uh just just doing a company because we were so you know we were young and excited about striking it out on our own eventually not not immediately but we were like hey we want to do this i would talk about it he would talk about it and we would and so i think that was in the back of our minds and so i went to washington dc that's where i joined a very young startup called hilkers labs I learned a lot there. I learned a lot there. And actually the reason I went to Hillcrest is I figured if I'm if I'm going to start my own company, I should really go to a startup and learn what it Amen. is, learn the ropes. Yep. Um and, and being at a 55,000 employee company is not going to teach you anything yeah. about starting your own business. No, that's exactly correct. Yeah. And and so that was my thinking, um Carol, we, I I said, "Look, I, yeah. I have to leave New York as much as I loved it." I said I'm going to go to the I'm going to go to the DC area and I'm going to join the startup. I was engineer number three uh, or thereabouts, okay. and I said I'm going to learn the ropes of of everything that this mm-hmm. uh, you know that startups can teach me. And so I did that. I was there for a number of years, and startups give you the opportunity to really get the full picture. You know, you get the full picture on on a number of things on. Uh, you get the full picture on uh, just your job, engineering, marketing, but you also learn about all these other things. You learn about other spheres of what the company is doing because you're curious and you can talk to people, you can meet them in the hallway, or you can go to them and say, hey, show me what you're working on, and and so on. So really, uh, startups, I think, teach you a lot of things, especially in the early days. If you want to start your own company, I think it makes sense to go Go work at one. Work at a startup. You want to start up yourself, uh, and so that was that was a journey. We uh, so I I did that for a few years, and then I was quite clear that um, I I ought to get started at some point. If I waited too long, I think life would have caught up with me. Right? I would have gotten uh, I think stuck in all the different things that life throws at you. I don't mean it mm-hmm. in a bad way, but I think that all of us. Uh, when we're younger, life's uncomplicated. And, you know, you have a spouse, you're married, okay, that's it. Right. But then, as you get older, you're earning too much money, and you have a family, and all of these things make the decision much more complicated. So, I decided I should, you know, go and strike it out on my own before. Oh, you can. I, yep. Yes, exactly. And so, that's what I did. So I, I actually ended up um, doing that just even before I turned. I was bef- it was before I turned twenty nine. So that's when I when I started. Right. So how did the two of you determine uh, who's going to be the CEO of the company? Yeah, actually pretty... Um, 
Because, you know, you both have a technical background, right? You, you... Right. Uh, I think I think it was very clear in our case because I was the one who really cared about product and building the product. And I, mm-hmm. I knew that I could really, you know, do that. And I, I had a clear vision of how I think we, we could build the engineering team and how, how to get a product out to market. Sharth, because of his business background, you know, he has a degree from Duke and also mm-hmm. um, at Merrill Lynch and all of that. He was really much better thinking about the business overall, mm. investors, how to raise capital, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How to do all those things for a company led by innovation. And so it was very clear. You sell the product, I'll build the product. You know, essentially, Got those it. are the only two things you need to do in the beginning. Yeah. So what would you say, at least looking over the past three years since you pivoted, Ravi, what would you say are the biggest challenges that you are facing uh, within your industry, and 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 what is the competitive nature of your of your market, and are they facing the same challenges? Right, uh, it's no, that's that's an interesting question. I think um, our our market, you know, the industry we're in, you know, I think broadly we're in the SaaS industry, but you know, especially if we mm-hmm. just zoom in on QR codes and and the market, I think this market is really brand new. It's evolving as we speak. It's only, I think, a few years old. There are, there are a number of players, but I think the challenge really is how do, you, how do you bring the power of this technology to the widest possible audience? Like We actually think that QR codes are relevant to nearly every business in the United States. I mean, in the US, mm-hmm. there are, I think the number is something like somewhere around 37 or 38 million businesses, small businesses, right? So um, how, how, do you get, how do you get this technology to reach all of them, every single one of them? And that is, a t- that is a hard problem. It's a little bit like, I like to draw this analogy to email marketing, right? From the early days, like we all know MailChimp when they first started yeah. and, and how mm-hmm. in the early days, people didn't know they needed email marketing, right? They thought, hey, I'll just collect a bunch of email addresses and send them an email. I'll BCC all of them. But then, but then it, it became it became a real need, right? Businesses needed a platform to email their customers or or do email marketing, and that's how Mailchimp started. And we we're actually, in that sense, I think very similar as an industry. Mm-hmm. QR code marketing, QR code customer engagement. I was, I think there. In that sense, very similar to uh, to what to what email marketing and Mailchimp and all those companies, constant right. contact, active, all of them, yeah, what they yeah. have to do. So, I think our challenges are really about scale. How do we reach every small business in the U.S.? How do we reach large enterprises? How do we get the technology to become really mainstream? I mean, um, mm-hmm. and so I think the industry is really focused on growth. I think this is is all about growth. It's a growth phase for all of us. In fact, to be honest, the market's expanding. Every month, if you track the number of people searching online for QR code, let's say QR code generator, QR code platform, that number is growing. That number is expanding rapidly, which means more and more people are becoming aware. I think that's the real challenge. So, how would you, I mean, this is a great segue to, do you have a particular customer avatar 
I mean, are you, you know, SMB, enterprise, all of the above? You know, who, who are you who are you going after? So because it's been inbound, we've actually been a very horizontal play, right? So we have all kinds oh. of businesses uh, reaching out to us, using our product. We have a free trial on our website, 14-day free trial. Anyone can use it. Anyone can try it out for 14 days, see how it works. And as a result, we have today, we have 22,000 customers, paying customers, all of them. And these customers are all in various industries. We have customers in consumer Package goods, CPG, we have customers in retail, in real estate, hospitality, uh, church. We, we have nonprofits. We have churches using our platform. We have restaurants using our platform. So literally, it's been across the board. It's a very horizontal plane. But we're always selling to the same buyer, and that is usually the head of marketing, right? So the marketing department yeah, is, is really where, the, right. is where they, they decide, mm-hmm. look, we need a QR code platform. Um, and, and, and that's when they come to, to us, to BeaconStack and, and sign up and then decide to, to use us and, and pay for our product. So, so ICP, yeah, I would say that's, that's really it. Completely focused on QR code for marketing engagement, customer engagement, although it's a horizontal play. And so we get a lot of mid-market and large enterprises as well. I mean, even today we have some of the biggest companies in the U.S. today that are customers um, and, and some of them are thousands and thousands of employees, right? So they they are, they do use our solution. So we have what we call a product-led growth motion, right? So PLG, as we call it in the SaaS world. So product-led growth. So the product drives adoption, and anyone can sign up for it. But then we use that that motion to to filter out, you know, who are the large enterprises that need our you know, our solution, which is really meant for what we call our enterprise plan. And then we also have the self-serve plans, which anyone can, you know, just come to our website, sign up and, and use with just, you know, just, just with a credit card on file. And so this this model, the self-serve coupled with the enterprise sales-led uh, motion, that's, that's what we've been uh, executing. And, and it's been working well for us. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like really that uh, from how you're describing it, that this is really companies who are purchasing it or they're using the technology are selling B2C, correct? Yes, that is correct. They're, they're, these are businesses that are selling B2C to a large extent. There are, uh, that's the primary, I would say, customer okay, base just, for us. And that's what I would assume, but I just want to be clear about that, right? So, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and from a, a revenue model, how, how are you charging? Is it per, per license, you know, per, per user? Um, I mean, what's, what's your revenue model look right. like? Us is essentially just linked to the number of QR codes that you need. So, so maybe you need three QR codes and not anymore, just, just one or two or three. And, and, and so we have a starter plan and we'll just charge you for those three codes. But then okay. you may be a business that's starting to scale your use of QR codes, and maybe you need a fifth, you need 50, 100, 200. So as the number of QR codes that you need to manage goes up, we offer different tiers, um, and mm-hmm. different basically pricing plans. So you can you can start small, and then you can move up. You could start with our startup plan, move to the light, move then to the pro, and then to the plus, mm-hmm. and so on. But fundamentally, it's linked to the number of QR codes that you need to manage, dynamic QR codes as we call them, 
because the QR codes that we offer in our platform, they allow you to change the content behind the QR code even after it's been printed. That's actually a pretty big deal because the last thing you want to do is print 100,000 you know, QR codes on, on 100,000 whatever, maybe business cards or, or, or packaging material or whatever. And then you have to change what it does and, or where it's pointed to, and then you have to reprint everything. So that's wasteful. And so we have a, a, yeah, a solution that addresses that problem. Got it. So if, if let's, let's look at the first, you know, 10 years of your company and then the, the next three, right? So as you said, so you had about 15 employees up through the first 10 years of the company. Looking back uh, in those 15 employees and you probably had some turnover, most people do. Um, what would you say are some of the hiring mistakes that you made in those earlier years in the first decade? And why? And what did you learn? <laughs> yeah, um, it's 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 uh, it's interesting when I look back at those years. Uh, uh, and you're right, by the way. Those and when we had about 15 people at the time that we introduced the QR code platform, we had some turnover, right? People come and go. And I think, by the way, that's that's a good thing to some extent because you want people to come in. Uh, with fresh ideas, especially if you've pivoted, you you were doing something else before, and you decide, hey, I, we need to go after this. It, sometimes it's a good thing to have new new blood, right? Fresh blood, or whatever you want to call it, and they come in, and then they have new ideas, and they're excited about what you're doing because this pivot appeals to them in some way. So, uh, from that standpoint, I think the 15 or so employees that we had, they were they were not the same 15. We just you know, kept kept having right. some new people well, joining, some people, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, we looked at it as a positive. Now, in terms of hiring um, mistakes that we made, um, we we almost always made. Um, whenever we look back at a hiring decision that was a mistake, it was when we we didn't hire someone for a specific role where they had an expertise, right? So we said, oh, let's get this person who can do A and B and C and a little bit of D as well. And those roles always never worked out, almost always. I mean, I don't know an exception. I can't think of one right now. So so, so when you think about the early days, right, you really just need people. You need not too many people to begin with, but you need people who are building. That's, you have engineers. You have people who are marketing, right? Uh, and doing the work that's necessary to get to get a spread awareness and get people to show up at your doorstep, right, on your website and so on. And then you have people who are selling. Once they show up and they want to talk to someone, someone has to talk to them, right, and, and sell the product. And and so it becomes very clear. But the problem sometimes is that you you get carried away and you don't have focus and you think, you know what, I should do a bunch of business development. I should build a bunch of partnerships with these really big companies so that I can get hundreds of customers in, in just a few weeks. You know, the silver bullet that everyone's looking <laughs> yeah, right. for. <laughs> yeah, so, right. That's yeah. a pipe dream. <laughs> those are, exactly. That's how we, uh, we thought in a, in a few instances, we thought that would work for us and we hired people to do that for us. Never worked out. We just learned the hard way. Yeah. So, and, and in the last three years, you've experienced obviously a great, a great deal of growth. You're up to 65 employees. Tell me now about your, your current talent strategy and 
you know, if you're still making mistakes, what, what those mistakes are, what you've learned from them and what, you know, how you've pivoted to, to change. Yeah. So, you know, honestly, I think that hiring mistakes are something that you can never really get rid of. I mean, that's my, that's our view as a, as, as a company. Mm-hmm. We know that we will make mm-hmm. hiring mistakes, especially because mm-hmm. it's a human decision. It's never objective, right? So if it's a human decision, it could mm-hmm. be, it could be off. I will, right? I will you, take, I will is, take note of that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what mm-hmm. we do is we, so as we've been growing, I think one thing we've done well is we have a very structured hiring process. It's, it's really structured in, in, down to every single stage of, of how we recruit, how we, sorry, source candidates, where we look for them, what we, and, and all the different stages involved, right? So uh, what's the first stage? When does the hiring manager speak with them? What does that look like? What's the timeline between hiring manager talking to them, them receiving some kind of whatever, you know, follow-up work, then when do the interviews happen? Right. What's the timeline on that? Who's, who's, who's on the interview committee for each role? How do we pick people who, who ought to be doing the interviews? We have a very democratic process, Carol, at the company. We would like to involve everyone in the team with, with picking who, they want to work, who they're going to work with, right? So we think that they should have a say in, in the next set of team members that are going to join us. So we literally have everyone in the company, after they've spent a little bit of time, they've been with us for a, a few months, that's when we start introducing them to mm-hmm. uh, interview training and so on, and then we make them a part of the process. The, the, and so we have a very structured, and I would argue, rigorous process for how we bring people okay. into the company, how we recruit, essentially. We work on employer brand. That's a really important thing. So we make sure that our, our public brand is visible. Mm-hmm. Employees mm-hmm. have yep. good things to say about us, both past and present. You know, we uh, all of these things really, really important. Glassdoor reviews. Uh, what, is, what, what will someone see when they search on Google for Beacon Stack, right? All of these things, I think, have been things we've thought about and we've structured it so that they're really, you know, scalable processes in that sense. In terms of mistakes, we still make hiring mistakes. There's, right. there's no doubt about that. Well, so when do those usually happen? That's what I'm always kind of curious about, right? So, um, what's what is slipping through in your very rigorous process? <laughs> well, the thing is, Carol, and, and again, you know, to your, to your point, nobody can make 100 percent good hires, right? right. You know, m- m- I, I say your goal should be somewhere north of 90 percent, though. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that certainly that should be the goal, and I, I would argue that is our goal. Um, but the reason we make hiring mistakes, Carol, and this, this is our view on things, is a lot of a lot of the times things correlate. People on interviews and people in the real, like on the job, they're the same person. But every now and then you run into someone who's really good at the interviews. Um, but not so good at the real job, right? So they know how to interview, but mm-hmm. they don't know how to actually get the job done, mm-hmm. or, or they, you know, they, they they really struggle with when the rubber hits the road. So when those things happen, and we have this process in place, we call it the 10, 20, 30 rule. So the first ten days after you've joined, you'll have a review with your manager. So we do a check in, we see how you're doing. Then twenty days, then thirty days, and so on. And so so we have a process which essentially. Uh, very closely monitors performance in the first 90 days. 
after someone's joined the company. And and so whenever whenever we've found we've made a mistake, we've corrected it in the first, I would argue, between the first 30 and 90 days. Uh, and that's when we say, okay, uh, this is not worked fantastic. out. This was a decision that for whatever reason was, was incorrect. And so we we take action. We don't let it fester. Uh, we don't, in the sense that we don't want that person to just linger. And and and, and I think that mm-hmm. that's and and when you bring somebody in, they know that they're going to have that thirty, sixty, ninety day yes. thing, right? Yeah, yeah, they do know that. We tell them clearly. Does that make anybody nervous? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that I think that there is a little bit of nervousness, but but I also think that they they respect the yeah. fact that you're transparent about it. You're telling them, hey, this I is how we do it. Um, no, I listen. I'm 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 not. I'm yeah. I. I'm in full agreement here. I mean, you need to, you know, when you communicate effectively your expectations, nobody can come back later on and say, well, oh, wait, they did tell me that. That's right. I guess I can't complain. Yeah. So um, I think those are some of the things that we've done to kind of correct hiring mistakes. I think you always make hiring mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are you most proud of when it comes to your organization, Ravi? <laughs> um Everybody uh, likes to say culture, and and I don't think my answer is very different. But what we think we've done well, Carol, is we're actually uh, now in three different countries in terms of just our our team. Our team is in India, in in the U.S., and also in the Philippines. Uh, We have a few people outside of these three countries, but the majority of them are all in these three countries. And that's a cross-border team, right? That's a team that's in three different continents literally i mean or at least two continents right and and but there's so many Ontario, cultural yeah. things asia right asian yeah. and so the uh-huh. i think that you north we, america we've yeah. done i i think reasonably well um in terms of really helping all these people work together as one one unit right so we have uh, i i think invested in building that rapport uh, we have a very inclusive culture uh, from the standpoint of diversity, um, even not just culturally, right? not just different countries, but even within, let's say, the U.S., I think we have a really diverse team here, uh, geographically as well. Like we're we're split. We have some East Coast people. We have some West Coast people. We have some people, right? You know, in mm-hmm. the middle, right? Like uh, in various time zones, essentially. And so I think we've we've built a culture where we really are very customer centric. Um, we we have people. Uh, who and, and also within the company, the culture is all, you know, uh, in the sense that we're we're encouraging cross team collaboration. We're we're actually getting people to know each other better, even if it's over Zoom. And so I think the culture, all of these elements, coupled with just being very data oriented, customer centric, uh, yeah. all of these things, I think, have been some good elements in our culture. Yeah, it's terrific. So, what does your day to day look like as a leader, Ravi? <laughs> yeah. What do you spend your time doing? So, uh, so one one of the things I, I I've been doing, I think for 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 a while now, is I theme my work week. So essentially, on Mondays mm-hmm. I'm focused on management of you know lots of management related things, top level, uh, talking about uh, things on the finance side or whatever with the chart, and and then focusing on a lot more on things around staff meetings and. What's the plan for this week? How do we do last week, and so on? And so, and then on different mm-hmm. days, I'm I'm doing different things. So one on ones on Thursdays, you know, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I'm diving deeper into specific areas, so product, 
on Tuesdays. Wednesdays is much more focused on, you know, sales and, you know, where things stand. So essentially I theme my work week. And then based on that, my day is, you know, each day is essentially aligned with that. I mean, I'm not saying it's a hundred percent strict, no product outside of Tuesday kind of thing, but this is the broad mm -hmm. uh, guideline mm -hmm. that I use to organize my work week. Um, but, but one thing yeah. I have to say is, I, is I'm, I'm, I, I do this thing where I send an email to every customer, every trial user who signed up for our product. It's, it's automated, of course, because we get almost 500 yeah, trials a day. But I send this email to every, to every person who signs up. And, and it's not spam. It's an email saying, hey, can you tell me why you signed up? And I get a bunch of replies every day. Uh, and one of the things that I do, the first thing that I do every single day is I open up my email and I reply and I read all those emails and I reply to all of them. That's, that, that's what keeps me honest. Mm -hmm. That's what keeps me honest every day about remembering really or, or, or keeping in mind who, who my customers are. Right. Yeah, that's really great. And what would you say are the biggest opportunities and threats in your space? I talked, I talked about a few things, right? Going to various businesses, really going right. up market, working with, you know, the biggest, uh, biggest companies in the world, helping them really leverage this technology. Those are huge opportunities. Uh, how can, how can we be, I think large companies, especially, I, they can, I think they can cut costs. They can be environmentally conscious. They can do sustainability. There's so many things that they can do in addition to, obviously meeting their core goals, which is customer engagement and, and building first-party relationships directly with customers. I think the opportunities are tremendous because it's a horizontal play, you know, in terms of just where QR codes can be used. Um, mm -hmm. I think the threats, well, competition, right? I mean, certainly there's, there's a lot of companies that see um, what it is that you can do with QR codes and, and a lot of companies um, right. are, 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 well, trying to try to win business, trying to get get customers, yeah. and so I think those honestly, as as, as Beacon Stack today, those are the things that we really you know think about. Um, how do we how do we how do we get ten x better than our competition? How do we win more opportunities, win more deals? How do we uh, really make make the best uh, product in, in you know in in our space relative to all the other uh, competitors. How do we, how do we be, how do we become number one? I guess that's honestly what keeps us up at night. That's great. So, if somebody uh, listening to this, Ravi, is thinking, "Oh, this is a pretty interesting company. Yeah, they're doing some pretty cool stuff. I'd love to, you know, investigate. Maybe seeing if they could use somebody like me. What should they do?" Well, we uh, have. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have a recruiting team, and we have jobs that we put up uh, on our LinkedIn and other places, spaces. But honestly, you're welcome to you know they're welcome to just email me. I'm happy to you know forward them to our recruiting team. I'm Ravi at BeaconStack.com. But happy to uh, yeah, we're always looking for great talent and people who uh, want to make do some really interesting work in in this space. So yeah. Good. Well, and, and, and although this will be in the show notes, um, Beacon Stack is B-E-A-C-O-N-S-T-A-C. 
So as Ravi said, Ravi at beaconstack.com. Is there anything I haven't asked you, Ravi, that you want to talk about before we uh, close up? Honestly, no. I think, you know, you've just, you know, it's been such an, such an engaging conversation, Carol. Thank you. I really, uh, I think, gone, gone back many years, gone down memory lane, you know, thought about all the things that we've done uh, up to the point where we are today. So um, honestly, I, I think we've hit, we've covered everything that I want to talk about. So thank you. I really enjoyed okay. yeah, this conversation. Well, thank you. Well, Ravi Pratap Madam Sati, uh, co-founder and CEO of Beacon Stack. Thanks for being with me. It was a really fun conversation. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Carol. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.